Hey everyone, we're back again. Welcome to the Text Lab. I'm Ryan Howe. And I'm Carl Rettinger. And uh, we both attend Vintage Grace and lead life groups, and we both actually have been in ministry in our life, although I think you've been in ministry much longer than I have, right? Like 20 years? That's just because I'm older, Ryan. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I only have five years, so I'm like the baby. <laughs> there you go. You're the grandpa. Yes. Hey, the Text Lab is where we do a deep dive into the text for this week at Vintage to help you prep for life groups. Our goal is to help you make disciples who go and make disciples. So we want you to encourage your life group leader or your people in your life group to get into the text and to see some of the details we'll be talking about. So whether you're leading a group, just trying to do some deep dive on your own, we hope the Text Lab helps you have meaningful conversations about God has said what, what God has said in his word. This week, we're in John 16, 4 through 15, so let's get into it. All right. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to, to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go away If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Awesome. I think... Great text. Uh, I think before we get into the text, it's always important to, in your life groups as well, but in our discussion, to kind of take a step back and look at context. So I think really that there are really multiple lenses of context that are really important to keep in mind as we're looking at this passage. First, uh, this is, again, just a continuing of the long discourse that Jesus has been uh, sharing with his disciples. So it's Jesus talking to his disciples. But more importantly, it's the context of what part of John that we're in. Uh, so the first part was called the book of signs. That was one through 11. And then chapter 12, we entered into the coronation ceremony. So this is part of the coronation of Jesus. He's talking to his closest people here in this section. But I think even more importantly is the bigger lens that we're not actually reading what Jesus said to his disciples. We're reading what John, the author, said about what Jesus said to his disciples, him being one of those disciples, to a group of Christians 50 to 70 years later in history who by this time, lots of things have happened. The church is really being persecuted heavily. Um, but other things has hap- have happened as well. For example, Acts chapter 2. What happened in Acts chapter 2? We've got the Holy Spirit that you know is being referred to here, coming back and revealing himself um, to believers. We also have Pontius Pilate, who ruled over Jesus at the crucifixion, being removed from his post. We also have Caiaphas, the chief priest, who accuses Jesus being deposed from his office, and Jerusalem is conquered and burned to the ground. And then also Rome 
had a major fire that destroyed most of the city. Yeah, and another thing I remember too, uh, it was not on the list of the notes that we have in front of us, but Pompeii actually happened. We, we don't connect that. That's just slightly south of Rome and this huge volcano spews fire and ash and they're not geologists. They don't know the, the science behind it. They think God is judging and it literally wiped an entire town out. So all these historical events are have, have already happened that the readers um, know about. Uh, right? So I think that's really important that we're, this is John writing at a much later date, reflecting back um, on what's happening. And what's the purpose of John writing? What's that thesis statement that we have to keep coming back to? Uh, Yeah. So John is writing this so that people will know who Jesus is and put their faith in him. Yeah. That that John 20, 30 through 31 that we keep repeating over and over again. This story fits into that context very much. This is that the readers can can know that Jesus is that Christ, the Son of God, and by believing have life in his name. So let's get into it right off the bat. Um, so I think there's an interesting issue right off, right in the beginning, because Jesus says, I'm going to him who sent me, but none of you ask me where you are going. There's a bit of a problem there. What's that problem? Well, so I I think I might have a little bit of a different take on this than you, but a lot of people that I have read say that, um, you know, this Jesus makes this statement, even though we know just a few chapters before Peter asks the exact same question with the exact same words. Thomas also asks Jesus this question, um, but what I've read is that... Um, the way that Peter asked his question was really more about his own concern for himself and saying, Hey, Whoa, where are you going? I'm going to miss you. And, you know, he's got all of this fear um, built up in him and Jesus, you know, Jesus kind of starts down a different road and Peter doesn't even follow up. He just kind of rolls with it. And, you know, it's not important enough to him that he's going to pursue the answer to that question and here, Jesus says, nobody has even asked me where I'm going. And um, it's more in the sense that uh, he feels like people don't have this understanding that where he's going is actually significant to not just themselves and their relationship, but to the entire world and to the entire church. And so he's, he wants to explain to them why, where he's going, why it's important. Yeah, and in that way, I don't think that we're actually too far off in terms of disagreement, because I definitely think this is John highlighting that there is a disconnect between the disciples um, and them understanding what Jesus is and what's about to happen um, and and what Jesus is saying. And, and it's clear that even throughout the book of John, there's been repeated themes of the disciples don't get it. The, the, the storm in the boat, the disciples didn't get it. The miracles that he performed, the disciples didn't get it. And here, even though Peter used the exact same words, and I, th- I think that that's important, that John knows what he wrote ahead, right? right? The fact that he's using the same words, I think is not to say that the question wasn't asked, but to highlight that the disciples were still in darkness. The disciples were not understanding, which is ironic, I think, because who's writing this text? The very John, who's part of the disciples that don't get it. So again, living in that context of this was written 50 to 70 years later, I think that this actually highlights the pivot point between John not getting it and now John being the disciple that you should actually believe 
uh, in what he's saying about Jesus and so that you can have life in his name, well, that pivot point is Acts chapter 2. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit, which gives John wisdom, gives John um, understanding, and now he can actually write this Gospels and we can, be- we can believe in him. So the coming of the helper is really an important part, uh, I think, that of this text. So um, I think it just highlights that difference. Yep. Well, and then in, in chapter verse 7, uh, kind of moves on and says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, which is, you know, despite all of this, despite the fact that, you know, you didn't even <laughs> ask this question that I want to answer, I'm going to answer it. And he says, I tell you the truth, which that's one of those kind of little hint phrases that, okay, listen up. I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. And I also want you to trust, you know, there's, there's this thing where it may not make sense to you what I'm saying right now, but just trust that what I'm saying uh, is actually really important. Well, and that word is almost like a, a drumbeat here because just, I mean, it's been all throughout the gospel of John, but just a few chapters, like one chapter before one of the helper statements was removed. It's another helper statement here. The last of the helper statements. One of the helper statements is that he is going to be the, the helper, the spirit of truth. He's bringing truth in. And here Jesus is banging on that drum of, I tell you the truth, the truth, the truth, the truth. Mm-hmm. How does John know the truth? Acts chapter two, right? It's, right. it's, that's the, the hinge point very much. And so it's, again, it's a reinforcement to the readers. Oh, I should believe in what John's saying that this Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. So let's get into the helper text a little bit here. So this is the last of four helper texts. And this is something I think is really important for you and your life group to do this week. Go back and review these four helper texts. So in John, this is unique to the gospel of John, not found in any of the other gospels. Um, John speaks to this helper at one point, I think it's in 1426, he actually says the Holy Spirit, so he identifies it fully as the Holy Spirit, but everywhere else he just calls it the helper, the helper, the helper. Um, There's four great texts about this helper and what the helper is going to do. So read with your life group, go back. It's 1416 is the first, 1426, then 1526, and then here is the last one, 167. And what this helper text says... Uh, if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit convicts and the, on these three areas. So what do you see happening here? Yeah, so there's... We, we've talked about this, Ryan. The word convict is kind of a, there's several translations that use the word convict. Uh, the NIV and I think the Net Bible both use something along the lines to prove the world to be wrong. Prove to be in the wrong, yeah. Yep. Um, and then it could also be convince. There's, there's different ways to phrase it. Essentially, it is the helper coming alongside and revealing sin, revealing uh areas of, of distance between humanity and God. Um, I think there's actually two really important lessons here too. Um, one, just a practical lesson. And then one, um, a theological lesson. The practical lesson is in your life groups, read different translations because I know it's common at vintage to say, well, the Greek just says, and you say the word, but actually Greek is a very complex language. Sometimes the Greek doesn't necessarily say exactly what the English says. There's actually interpretation going on in there that, that there's, there's 
sometimes major differences mm -hmm. and different translations in the English will reveal where those issues are. This is a great example of that, right? Where the word is hard to translate. Um, but the second theological lesson is, I don't like the word convict because that has a very finale, very confrontational view of it. Um, and I know we have the war theme that we talked about last week, but I, I don't know if that's continued here because every word where, where this word, every place where this word convict occurs in the Bible, the context is convict in order to redeem. See, the goal here is to reveal truth in order to come to Jesus, not to reveal truth to say you're wrong, you're going to hell but to actually convict truth to come to Jesus. There's a desire for redemption in Jesus. Yeah. Here. Well, and that... In the Holy that, Spirit, I should say. And that goes to... I think that goes well with the idea of the helper. You know, it's... Uh, the Holy Spirit isn't coming to, you know, just hit you over the head with, you know, the baseball bat. It is... It's to help you. It's to, you know, show you, man, you are living in a way that you are not experiencing life to the full. And so it's coming to, you know, show you where you've gotten it wrong. Yeah. God does not want to destroy the world. He actually wants to redeem it. And, and I think that that's really important. Convict, you may think like we're at this big war. There's a battle between those who believe in Jesus and not. Um, interestingly enough, we're going into the book of Revelation. I've just been staggered reading, preparing for Revelation the church is never called to fight. The only one who ever fights is God or Jesus on the white horse or all these, these symbols. The church never fights. The church only gets killed. The church only gets persecuted. The church only gets hurt. But they never actually battle and fight out um, the battle of God. God fights his own battle. God wants to redeem the world. Um, and these enemies he's fighting, he ultimately wants them in his family. He doesn't want to, to destroy them. And I think that that's highlighted here, that the Holy Spirit, this helper, is trying to redeem. Um, yes. So to sin, to righteousness, and to judgment, let's look at a little bit uh, about that. What what are these three items mean to us, or what are some of the highlights? Right. So sin is, you know, it's you've probably heard this a thousand times, but it's a term that means missing the mark. A, a um, archer would, yeah, archer. you know, shoot at a target, and if they missed the mark, it was a sin. Um and the sin that that John is relaying that Jesus who talked doesn't about, believe in Jesus, yeah, yeah, is yeah, it's that lack of belief, and maybe even uh, I don't want to say it necessarily means this, but I think I think of just people who reject Jesus, you know, like even more so even than that, you know, just kind of casual indifference and, you know, lack of knowledge or understanding about who Jesus is. It's the people who really reject Jesus. Well, think about the context, right? 50 to 70 years later. So who are these people who are missing the mark in terms of Jesus? Well, we know two big groups uh, in that historical period, the Jews who are persecuting uh, Christians left and right, and the Romans, right? And that's the whole world to these original readers at that time, for the right. most part. Um, so the helper is to bring evidence to who? To the world at that time, the Romans and the Jews, right. in order to redeem the Romans and the Jews, right? Not to fight back. So what about righteousness? Yeah. So righteousness, we're, we're talking about God here and it's the, um, it is God's holiness. It's, um, 
the people who are following and submitting to Yahweh, to God. And, um, you know, obviously there's a huge chasm between the sinful people rejecting Jesus and the righteous people who are pursuing Jesus, which then brings us to the next. <laughs> yeah. Well, and interestingly enough, who is it that feels that they were being righteous? Again, 50 to 70 years later, we got two populations of Jews and the Romans. They think they're actually pretty righteous. What did they do? They killed Jesus, right? They killed what they thought was a guilty man, um, but he actually was he was innocent. So who is it that believes the death of Jesus was righteous? Well, it's the Romans and the Jews. So again, I think this is highlighting what the Spirit is doing is revealing to the world at the time of the readers um, in order to redeem them. That's what the Holy Spirit's role is. Interesting, But this last one, I think, is really interesting to judgment. Now, this is again where I think when we're reading scriptures with our life groups, we've got to hesitate because you you and your life groups are immediately going to talk about one character and one character only, and that's Satan, right? Oh, the ruler of this world. I don't think that that's John's message here. Um, the idea here is to, to judgment for fair, judge, uh, for fair justice, but what's the truth? What's the reality being displayed here that concerning judgment? Because the ruler of this world is judged. There's some really interesting things um, happening here. First, ruler of this world. No other place in the Bible is that talked about. This is a John very specific title, and it's only occurred about three or four times in the book of um, John. And that speaks to a very complex understanding of the authorities in the world at the time. Yes, they do believe in spiritual authorities, but multiple spiritual authorities. There's parts in the Old Testament that talk about that nations have angels posted above them and ruling for them, multiple authorities. And I think that that was ruling bodies as well, like the nation of Israel and the, the, the church and like different parts of it. Um, but also they believed in the literal rulers of this world. Um, but what's interesting to me is the, the context of are, are, is judged because there's something going on here in the Greek that you can't see in the English. And that's the perfect tense. Can you kind of explain the perfect tense in Greek? Okay, I'll, I'll try to re <laughs> dig back into my Greek. But uh, it's basically something that happened in a specific time, but has continuing ramifications. Yeah. Is that... Yeah, something that happened in the past that affects me in the present. Well, that doesn't make sense if in the context of Jesus talking to his disciples. Was, has has um, the ruler of this world been convicted yet? Not not at this time, no. When does when does that occur? Yeah, uh, that occurs that occurs at the resurrection. Yeah, at the cross, at the resurrection. Yeah. That hasn't happened yet. It has happened. 50 to 7 years later, John writing to his writers. And so I think the perfect tense is also speaking to this, this double lens here. The, the readers already know that the rulers right. have been convicted. But also, what were some of those historical markers we talked about at the beginning? Pontius Pilate? Right. Yeah. Removed. Caiaphas. Yeah, we've got in, you know, as we're talking, it kind of reminds me of Paul talking about powers and principalities. You know, there's there's a couple layers. There is the there's the earthly layer of the people that we see in power who are persecuting the church, persecuting Christians. Um, but then there's also this spiritual element that is going on behind the scenes that we may sense. Um, we will experience, you know, impact from that, but we may or may not necessarily see it. And, you know, John is able to look back now with some context as he's writing 
his gospel and he sees some of the ways that these powers and principalities have you know been falling or be being affected by Jesus re- resurrection yeah, very much John is taking the present reality of what they're experiencing in 70 to 90 AD um, and speaking to what he lived through with Jesus as a disciple to share that message, again, to believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and, believe, and by believing have life in his name. I think that's this story just lends to that same, old, that same theme. Um, so what do you think in terms of life group what are some application points maybe some things to ponder you know one of the things that i think just in a practical way is as followers of jesus you know trying to figure out um how we how we understand god's will and um where we are being led how we're being led and when we think about the holy spirit leading us in different areas i think one of the things that um, that a theology teacher uh, drilled into my head was that the whole focus of the Holy Spirit, the main reason for the existence of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus. And that can be in glorifying him, that can be in pointing us to him, that can be in clarifying Jesus. But... Um, as you are living your life and as you're thinking about your experiences, if there are times where you think the Holy Spirit is leading you in a way, um, in a direction, I think that's one of the key questions to ask is, is this, <laughs> does this line up with the, the reason for the existence, the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I think we had the same theology professor, so I know exactly <laughs> even the lectures <laughs> that you're referring to. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that you're dead on, Carl, and I think that um, more importantly, you know, John is really highlighting in those four statements of the helper, the helper is, is the spirit of truth. He comes to reveal truth. Again, ironically, as John is the author, having received the Holy Spirit at Acts 2, telling his readers now to believe in him that he has the truth. I mean, there's, that's very much the argument going on here, um, that 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 the helper is the spirit of truth. And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit inspiring us, truth matters. And the Holy Spirit will never inspire us to do something that's counter to the Bible. So if you're feeling like the Spirit's really leading me to fight against something, I, I don't know if that's really the Spirit because the Spirit doesn't want to fight and war and kill. It wants to redeem and give life. And so that's, you know, that... That's something that we have to also test the spirit in us. But interestingly enough, here, the spirit's relationship to the world. Again, this idea that it wants to redeem the world and is already redeemed the world because here we look at 50 to 70 years later and what the spirit is doing in terms of um, of convincing to bring to, to repentance uh, the world in sin and in judgment and in righteousness or righteousness and judgment. These things are already happening, right? Um, very much speaks to the very context of the day, and it's continuing to happen. The Spirit wants to work through us to bring the world to repentance, um, not to bring the world to its knees and slice their throat open or violent. Like it's it's here to bring them into the family of God to um, to love them, and I think that that's that's a really cool message. 
So if I was in your life groups, I'd be asking, how is the Spirit bringing the people in my life to repentance? Um, that'd be an important question. What's what's going on in my life that's helping redeem people? And if not, how can I engage the Spirit, the Helper, a little bit more? That is a great question. I love it. Hey, thanks to you, listener, for being a friend of the pod and spending your time with us. Our promise to you is that we're going to do our best to make uh, this time valuable. And I hope you enjoyed it. I hope that it's been edifying. Um, And if so, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And whether you're working out at the gym, cleaning the house, or mowing the lawn, driving in the car, whatever you do while you're listening to podcasts, uh, I I guess the word pod is, we don't need that anymore. We hope that you feel equipped, encouraged, and ready to walk through the text with your group this week. As always, do your own prep, let the Spirit lead you, and know that you are the one who is sent by God this week into your family, into your school, into your work, into Starbucks the gym and soccer practice, wherever your Pray Watch community might be and wherever God invites you to go to be the living proof of our loving God. Hey, we love you guys. We'll catch you next time on the Text Lab.